Hey, I'm Danny Levy, and you're listening to Digital Transformation and Leadership. This is the show where we go behind the scenes with today's top business leaders to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. This week, I'm joined by Neil Cross, co-founder and chairman of Picture Wealth, one of the world's fastest-growing wealth fintech companies, and he serves on the advisory board of Razor Fintech and is non-executive director at ASX-listed Peppermint Innovation. Prior to this, Neil was the Chief Innovation Officer at DBS Bank, where in his tenure he drove their transformation into a global innovation powerhouse, culminating in achieving the world's best digital bank in 2016 and 2018, and the world's best bank three times across 2018 and 2020. Neil, welcome to Digital Transformation and Leadership. Thank you. It's uh, great to be invited onto your show, Danny. Yes, and, and thank you for, for accepting the invite. Um, great to have you here, Neil, and uh, someone of your pedigree. It's fantastic having you on the show. So not building you up too much, but uh, before we uh, before we get started, would you be able to uh, quickly introduce yourself and, and what it is you're doing? Uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've done a lot of things in my career. I started very young, I think mm. 11, writing computer games and, and ended up writing a lot of software and, and working at Dun & Bradstreet on the data side. Yeah. Then moved over to tech companies like mm-hmm. Microsoft and headed up their business for financial services here in Asia mm-hmm. and moved on to, then to MasterCard to run their innovation labs before what people... I suppose mainly known before as my um, time at DBS Bank as the Chief Mm -hmm. Innovation Officer for five years. And that was an amazing experience being right at the core of arguably one of the most successful transformations in financial services and and certainly in this region. Today, I do great things like this. I also um, advise a lot of banks, insurers Mm -hmm. and cap market businesses around um, Asia, Middle East, and I've co-founded my own fintech company, Picture Wealth, and I've just joined the board this year of Peppermint Innovation, who do mobile money in the Philippines. So doing a lot of work in kind of microfinance. At the same time, I have my social enterprise work um, with my hotels in Sumatra, mm-hmm. Hotel Orangutan and uh, Pullaway Paradise. So yeah, lots of things I'm doing at the moment. Got to ask you, Neil. How, how do you how do you manage your time? Before we get into it today, how do you how do you manage your time? How do you prioritize and keep yourself sane across all these different ventures? Uh, it's quite easy. I'm I'm just a ruthless <laughs> prioritizer, um, okay. and um, I used to have to do this for my team. You know, when you're getting maybe up to twenty million requests for a day, mm. you just have a priority. You know, customers first. Um, in, you know, uh, customers and money first, uh, customers with no money second, partners, and then internal meetings. So you, you just prioritize and accept the fact you can't do everything. Yes. And, um, and that's it. Yeah, just make sure the important stuff uh, gets done and just, you know, keep moving forward. Have you brought other people into the current business or is it, it's all you at the moment? Uh, well, on my advisory business, no, it's just me. So, um, you know, doing mentoring for, for to secure a, a contract to mentor a bank mm-hmm. CEO in the Middle East. And um, I do a lot of board engagements and yeah. workshops. So that side's just pretty much me. Mm-hmm. They want me to come and spend time with them and, um, you know, give them some insight and make it a bit of fun as well. 
And on, on Picture Wealth, yeah, I mean, Picture Wealth's one up to mm. about 40 staff today. Okay. Okay. And, um, and Peppermint, I'm non-exec director on that business. And, um, and so learning a lot about the Filipino microfinance, yeah. micro-lending market currently. So before we get into the topic today, I wanted to ask you, Neil, if you had an extra hour in the day, a 25th hour, what would you do with it? Um, I would, uh, if I could transfer it, I'd give it to um, my um, my family. But I think for me, it'd be family time. Mm-hmm. If I had instant travel as well, because most of my family's in the UK, then absolutely. If I had a mm-hmm. teleporter plus an extra hour, I know exactly where I'll be. I'll be with my family back in the UK. I'm based down here in Perth, Australia yeah. at the moment. Instant transmission sounds pretty good to me. Well, that's it. They've done it with quantum <laughs> entanglement. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, maybe another 50, 100 years we'll be there. Well, Neil, we're going to talk today around how to deal with digital disruption in the finance industry. Um, you've been awarded the world's most disruptive CIO and CTO globally by judges, including Sir Richard Branson and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak. So... Really interested to get into this with you today. Um, so maybe you could kick us off by just talking about what are the causes of digital disruption in the finance industry? Well, there's quite a few and maybe um, the ones that we kind of most know are, are fintechs. So hmm. um, startups essentially who focused on a particular part of the finance industry mm-hmm. and got some traction um, through that space. And a lot of people think digital disruption is about technology, which in my mind it, it is and it isn't. It, it, it is in the fact that a lot of the disruption, the players are using technology. Mm. Um, but there is a misconception that technology caused this. Um, I, I don't think that's so. Everyone has the same technology, has the same opportunity. There's very few cases where one company has special technology that other companies don't. You can count them all on one hand. This will be like the Googles, the Microsofts. They may have something that they don't sell as a product. But otherwise, you know, pretty much every business today can get, you know, amazing AI over a service, analytics, um, you know, connectivity, um, straight through processing. And, And we've seen a whole field around things like banking as a service. But anyway, so for me, it wasn't about technology. Certainly, they utilize these technologies to disrupt. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was about unhappy customers. And someone came and solved your customer's problem better than you were currently doing it. Yeah. And this is a, a generic statement that really applies to all digital disruption across all industries, in my mind, yeah. Yeah. They certainly use technology to make that you know cheaper, faster, easier to use. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it wasn't that that which disrupted the businesses. Behind that, the, there's the the kind of innovation models. So if you look at you know Netflix is a good one, iTunes as well. Mm-hmm. People say that was a great technology disruption, and I disagree completely. Actually, I think it was a pricing model innovation. Um, on both sides, so rather than buying a single film, you could have a subscription, watch as much as you want with Netflix. With iTunes, it was about you don't need to buy a whole album, you can just buy a single. So it's a pricing model innovation. At the same time, it's a distribution model innovation. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't need to go to a record store or to a, a video store. I could get yeah. it delivered to any device. So once you kind of peel back these great stories that we always repeat <laughs> in digital disruption, it, it's not about the tech. Tech's incredibly important, but there's a lot more that, that happens. So anyway, so for me, disruptions caused by basically someone solving your customer problems or you know customer jobs to be done as mm -hmm. uh, uh, Clay Christensen um, used to talk a lot about and they're having interesting business models which may be quite disruptive to these kind of um, um, you know more legacy or traditional businesses mm -hmm. and then using technology to make it quicker and you know more engaging essentially and lower the cost of operations and i guess within the finance industry you've got you've got the traditional incumbent banks haven't you and the the digital pure plays um i guess when we're thinking through problems the incumbent banks they still have a lot of these kind of kind of old traditional legacy problems don't they especially here in singapore for example we've still got to go to the branch or do certain things but that the legacy players are a bit slower to move, but there's more trust maybe versus the the pure players. I mean, how, how do you view that, Neil, in terms of them identifying problems and being able to to solve them or to adapt digitally? If you look at the, the playing field, so mm. you're right, we have the incumbents, the traditional banks, insurance, cap market yep. businesses. Then we have the competitive landscape so mm. that comprises of fintechs yeah. they tend to be startups who then get to scale and um, usually unprofitably so mm. they scale very quickly as we know standard startup model do the various series ABCD funding rounds and get to big scale as a loss-making entity and then move into delivering more profitable you know services mm -hmm. if you look at those models there's some great ones in this kind of digital banking realm essentially a lot of those digital banks started as a a prepaid card and app mm -hmm. i mean they were that simple a yeah. lot of fintech it was a bit bit of a a lot of banking kind of a bit shameful that they got disrupted by a startups who literally wrote like 10 lines of code yeah, yeah. And so when we saw fintech starting, a lot of it was that really low-hanging fruit, yeah, very simple things to customer problems to address with low regulatory requirements, uh, core systems, operations, and, and tech requirements. Um, and then they've obviously got, got more sophisticated and, and, and grown in that space. But, but a lot of these were unlicensed mm -hmm. or lightly licensed. So they had an app and a card, a prepaid card, um, which you actually don't need a license for a prepaid. You can mm -hmm. um, buy one in a shop, yeah. Um, but, but they started to then get lighter licenses, more debit card space. But the, their idea was to create something cool, something new, mm -hmm. you know, a nice pink-colored card, a great app to help you understand your spending, give some big discounts, so free ATM withdrawals, or, you know, which region they're in, mm -hmm. or um, high savings rate if they've got a savings product, um, or free foreign exchange transfers and then grow to scale and then get a, a more sophisticated license and then hopefully as a bank you've got to move in into you know deposits and lending mm -hmm. uh, as an organization if you want to have a uh, long-term 
and sustainable revenue platform. Um, so we saw a lot of these startups happen. There's a second batch, which are a second pillar in the disruption, which you've got tech companies mm -hmm. who've now moved into finance as well. Yeah. And these already have the huge scale. And what they do is they take that insight, that data, that, that customer insight, and their relationship, um, their distribution, and then move into finance. So we tend to see consumer-facing tech companies moving into more consumer banking, if you yeah. will, so moving into payments, buy now, pay later, and uh, insurances, personal insurance and personal loans. And then you'll see in the e-commerce platforms with a lot of focus on small and medium business banking. Mm -hmm. That's because obviously they have a lot of sellers on their platform and they have the real-time data on how successful their businesses are. They actually see them selling. Yeah? It yeah. comes through their platform and hence they've got amazing data for credit scoring and can give a, you know, a lower interest rate because they have a better handle on the, the risk of, of those clients. And, and, you know, they've been very successful. I'm mm -hmm. not talking about the Western ones, obviously the Alibaba's of the world. So they tend to fall into consumer mm -hmm. systems like Kikau Messaging App is one of the biggest banks now in South Korea. Um, obviously, they're doing social and yeah. what they're building in China, Alibaba, etc. We're seeing the Western ones, you know, we know Apple Pay, Facebook's, oh, yeah, we don't have long enough to talk about. <laughs> what's happening there at the moment and um and obviously amazon actually doing quite a lot of end lending in asia so yeah. they've got quite a good business now around payments and lending in, in india and other places um and then the the final kind of competitor for me which is emerging and is getting very interesting is is really um companies large corporates who are not they're not tech companies they might be conglomerates or, or just generally large businesses who are starting to move into finance for different reasons. One mm -hmm. is, hey, they've got a business over here that's an airline and they've got some reward points and they've got a business over here which is like a supermarket chain. Yeah. Well, maybe we can tie them together with some kind of financing and, and others. So, so that's um, another aspect. But, but then obviously we've got the whole world of decentralized finance competing. Mm -hmm. but, but generally, that's, that's the kind of landscape. But all of this, in my mind, is still driven by the simple fact is that customers' problems, whether consumer or corporate, get solved by someone else in a faster, cheaper, better way. Mm -hmm. and, um, but, but banks are responding, and banks are, as we know, banks are innovating, and some are being disruptors themselves. Thank, thanks for talking us through that, Neil. And do you see that some of these, the consumer facing, the say the, the large companies, the, the big tech that are moving more into finance, are they, are they following, do you think, um, trends or looking across other industries and saying that they have to do this? Or do you think they are really looking at the problems and, and, and deciding that they want to be a disruptor? Uh, is, is, is there kind of a gray area in the middle? I just wanted to get your thoughts. Um, it does depend which yeah. tech company you are. So we know, you know, Google and Facebook are just after it for the data. Yeah, yeah. we know that they can lose money in finance you know, every day of the week for the mm -hmm. next forever because their money's made on advertising. So yeah. I think Facebook's like ninety-eight percent of the revenues in advertising. Google have managed to get it down to about so yeah, Facebook's about ninety-eight. Apple's um, sorry, uh, Facebook ninety-eight. Google's about eighty-five percent now. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
which is still, you know, if, if somebody disrupted advertising, there'd be two great big holes in the ground in yes. California where those companies <laughs> used to be. Yeah. Um, and, uh, anyway, so what they want is the data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those adverts that pop up in a Google search, if you can get access to people's financial data and their spending habits, the value of that advert to an advertiser could have five or 10 X in value. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's where their money's made from that side. So those, those businesses very much um, are, are data plays. Yeah. Um, one's e-commerce sites, a lot of that initially was facilitation. Yeah. So, hey, I need to sell products, but I can only do cash on delivery. Okay, let's partner with someone like PayPal or build mm -hmm. our own payment system like Alipay to facilitate our core business. Yeah. Um, but what's happened over time is actually the kind of the finance piece can, can get to quite a big size and can even outshine your, your e-commerce business. We mm -hmm. saw that with Ant Financial yeah. and, and obviously the government. Um, stepped in around some of that stuff uh, and so it's business facilitation then mm -hmm. then realizing I think with all companies if you are agile you're always trying to gain market share get into new markets clients be yeah. more profitable and you're very good at technology then you kind of sit there and think look I've got all these eyeballs connected into me I've got a lot of data on our clients and so no matter what industry you're in it's easy to make money in finance prospectively because you don't need to build a factory to manufacture stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just moving data around. There's so much, um, there, there's so many things you can connect into both mm -hmm. from a technology and operations and uh, regulatory standpoint that you can be up and running very quickly with the finance offering. Some have pivoted as well. So Google mm -hmm. did like a bank in a box and I recently read they've given up trying to um, build their own bank and they're selling it to other banks as bank in a box. Mm -hmm. A lot of these tech companies, Microsoft took an early stance on this, is, mm -hmm. hey, a lot of our customers are banks. A large proportion of our revenue stream is from the finance industry. Yeah. And so you've got to be a little cautious between you know, trying to enter that and be disruptive at the same time upsetting your other business lines. Yes. And, and so I think that's, that was why Google pivoted away from trying to do their own bank at the, that time and, mm -hmm. and now offer that technology as a service to, to smaller finance organizations. Um, and so there's lots of you know, co-opetition yeah. um, happening, but it's very interesting. I remember yes. being at Microsoft and no regulator would talk to us. Mm. Um, you say, hey, you're a tech company. I mean, you know, some would, but generally they're like, well, you're a tech company. We don't have a conversation. Mm. And obviously now that's vastly different. Now the reg all regulators are talking to tech companies, fintech startups. Um, and, and so it feels like the finance industry is just seen as this industry that there's a lot of fat in there. There's a yeah. lot of opportunity for optimization and... Um, remediation and all the products are digital yeah and there's a lot of great examples of finance companies being hugely successful um without being traditional finance i mean paypal is an obvious mm -hmm. one and so it's a well-trodden path now um for non-bank entities to to move into finance are they a massive threat um i certainly think the tech companies have a chance 
um, and putting really, I mean, the major threat is, is looking at the telco, what happened in telco mm -hmm. is, are they going to be the dumb pipes? And so are they going to provide the services that then someone else monetizes? Obviously, not many phone calls are done over the telecoms network compared mm. with, say, WhatsApp calls or Skype or yeah. Teams or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and so are banks basically just product manufacturers and the distribution happens through third parties? Well, I think we'll have to wait and see mm -hmm. on that one. But it's certainly a possibility that, that um, these big digital technology companies with their huge billions in, in customer engagement mm. would not end up being the kind of shop front for everything, yeah. finance or others, but we'll see. Yeah. We can have this conversation in five years and see how it's tracking. <laughs> so I guess for companies listening to this, maybe they're, they're, they're looking to get into the more into the fintech space, they're in there or they just want to um, innovate more. Um, what do you think it takes to really become that kind of disruptor yourself? You've talked about honing in and identifying those customer problems, but is there anything else to it, Neil? It's, it takes a lot. You, mm. If you really want to be a disruptor, you need to look into the right places. These businesses, having worked across nearly every aspect of um, this kind of continuum, competitive continuum, the, the the businesses I've worked at have been vastly different from a cultural perspective. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's really the hardest thing to change. Yes. And the I wouldn't say the least focused on, but I think the least, well, maybe the least focused on, at least understood, certainly. But some of the least effort and funding around a transformation goes into. Thankfully, you know, over the years, we've started to talk more about it. But there's still... It's, it's how these tech companies approach business, yeah? How do they think about data? Mm -hmm. There are simple things. I keep, I've been saying this for 10 years to banks, so thankfully I'm, I'm still earning. So I shouldn't complain that, you know, <laughs> the industry's not changing fast enough. I've actually slowed down a bit because I could, you know, I don't want to retire just yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just simple thing. Yeah? I do a thing. Hey, how many times have you given a bank your name? You know, in your lifetime, how many times do you think you've given a bank your name? Hundred times. Hundred times. times, right. Yeah. How many times have you given Facebook your name? Once. Yeah, there we yeah. go. So there's a complete <laughs> complete difference of of understanding and thought around mm. data. That's just for me that's the leading indicator. Um, around that. So how do they approach data? How do they approach product manufacturing? How, you know, how do they do distribution? How do they mm -hmm. do, um, you know, customer engagement? How do they do virality of marketing? And, and so all these things, that really is the most important thing for me is not so much to emulate the products and innovations that tech companies have done, but that's great. But that, that's like giving someone fish rather than teaching them how to fish. Mm -hmm. The old um, adage is if you can start to think a bit more like them and act a bit more like them and get their, you know, the ability to make decisions quickly, to use data, to power those decisions, and to have a highly collaborative and engaged staff base who really are in love with what the customer is trying to achieve, that's the bit I feel that we need to get right. Yeah. Because then 
it, it levels up the competitive playing field a bit more between mm. these essentially these businesses who are either quick and small and really quick growing or big tech companies that's already got a massive install base um, is, is to bring some of that. It doesn't mean that you sit around in beanbags all day with post-it notes everywhere um, in, in your lovely free canteen while having a massage. <laughs> but there's a lot to learn. And, yeah. and working in, in these different businesses, in, in, in industries, um, they all have positives and negatives from the culture. And that, for me, mm. is, is how you make decisions, how you execute them, how you engage your workforce, these are the things that I feel that tech companies have a lot more advantage on than, than mm. traditional companies. Yeah. And Neil, when you go in and, and consult and say work with a company or a big bank, um, are these the questions that you start with normally when you go in? Uh, I'll start really wherever they want. Um, okay. A lot of the talks start from the you know, digital transformation, mm -hmm. competitive landscape. Yeah kind of thing and then we really start to drill in to the different areas okay um, there, I mean there's some stuff in, in product innovation you know can I do you, or competitive crossover you know do you think we should move into buy now pay later and kind of mm -hmm. talk through the so you had a, a, a podcast on that so I'll listen to it Booking. later com. Yeah. Uh, yes yes, yes. Um, BNPL um, product or whatever uh, a lot of those discussions are like, how does it really work? Mm -hmm. And um, and so we're doing all this tech piece, but then how do we become a disruptor ourselves? And so there's one thing, for example, I've been watching open banking since I was born. You yeah. know, the kind of I was writing APIs back at Dun and Bradstreet in early 2000s. Okay. And, um, and we called it gateways then. So yeah. being able to get credit and business scoring data over it wasn't even xml then we would deliver it in um stml okay uh, uh, anyway um and uh there's a bit of a, te a tech museum <laughs> and, but anyway and so it's not anything new and but it's always been around this is a great example yeah yeah and so banks are rushing into this thing it's all about the technology how hey, i need mm -hmm. to build these apis yeah. power it through some microservices whatever blah 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 get apis out there and but when we approach this at DBS, because I've been watching it for so long and, mm. you know, nearly all of them have failed over the last 20 years or so, unless they're very kind of specialized, high-end corporate, you know, um, or corporate APIs tend to work very well mm -hmm. historically, but consumer ones not so much. It's because they're approaching it from a tech perspective, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's where people get confused. You really have to work in a... So many, I've met a lot of bankers who keep telling me, you know, we need to think like a tech company. I'm like, have you ever worked in a tech company? Mm. Uh, no. Well, yeah. I mean, in fairness, <laughs> you know, they think we're being a tech company means you're good at tech. Yeah. I'm like, actually, some of the tech companies I've been at, their internal systems are pretty poor. Mm. It's the old <laughs> adage, you know, you, you cobble his shoes or... Um, you know, never well repaired yeah. to some degree. It isn't the fact they're good at tech. If it was that easy, everyone would be doing it. Tech mm. gets easier and easier every year. I mean, it's just ridiculously easy to compare to, with, you know, it was 10 or 20 yeah. or even 50 years ago. But anyway, um, it's, it's how they approach business. Mm -hmm. That's the, so you learn business from tech people. You don't learn it from tech companies. You don't learn tech. Um, and, and so working out how they would approach problems and think about how they engage their staff around 
with problem-solving piece is, is, I mean, the culture at banks and tech companies are vastly different. Yeah, mm. Just one is approach to data. Banks collect lots of data. They store it very safely, but kind of no one knows where it is or, <coughs> or how to use it. And it's all in different formats where tech companies yeah. deliberately harvest data to drive their, their revenue model. It's uh, and and often it just gets thrown around that term, doesn't it? We we need to be more like tech companies without that real thinking in behind what it is and connecting the dots, which is difficult, like you said, when you've never worked for a technology company. Mm. Yeah. And and you have a hierarchical culture. Yeah. You know, you're scared of failure. It's always funny with banks because, yeah. and um, that a little bit schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. So banks monetize risk. I mean, all of them, banks, insurance, you know, and capital markets have different approaches to risk, but essentially they're making money from risk. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and banks will maybe lend to a load of corporates in a specific industry, that industry will collapse and the banks will have hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, they, on that side, their actual business is making money off risk. But internally, if you want to do like a little, not even risky, but something cool internal project. It's like, no, that's too risky. Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, a minute, you just wrote off half a billion dollars over there. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, this thing internally, one, it doesn't cost hardly anything. Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. Mm. No, no, we have to be worried about blah, blah, blah. So it, it's that kind of mindset, that approach, bringing that external approach to risk, bring it internally and and getting them to be more ambitious and questioning the status quo just because we've mm-hmm. always done it like this is this still the best way to do it today well a lot of the time no because guess what when you built that process it was 40 years ago mm-hmm. the regulations some of the regulations changed in the meantime you've made those changes but um you if you were to rebuild it again today it would be quite different and a lot more efficient and successful as a kind of value stream in your business and so there's a lot of that as well, which mm. needs to be um, unwired for a, a business to be successful is, is accepting the fact, hey, you know, a lot of the stuff we've done before is not optimal. We need to approach this differently now. Yeah. And we need to look at best in class across multiple industries, but inculcate that mindset of being more experimental, mm-hmm. more ambitious, yeah, more kind of making more decisions based on data for example, and being more collaborative and partnership-led, that's really what's going to move the dial on, yeah. on a, um, you know, a bank who wants to be a disruptor. Yeah. And can the, can the large incumbent banks, Neil, that you know, there's lots of different organisations, it's very hierarchical, it's much slower route moving, they're um, less inclined to take risk, like you've mentioned, do you see that they're able to move the needle? Is it, is it something they can do um, to get more nimble, to, to be a disruptor, to compete? Is it possible? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it, it takes them a bit longer. Yeah, yeah. There's some great examples out there. Um, obviously, DBS is one yeah. of them, but the, there's lots of other banks now who've got on the forward foot with this mm-hmm. and have rewired parts of their organization, whether they're doing a lot more software delivery by using things like Agile, whether mm-hmm. they've got a kind of customer journey team and, and building things like personas to get in the mind of the customer designing about them, yeah. um, whether they have you know, very advanced kind of data management and AI, which obviously will be the same thing in, in not too mm-hmm. soon a future, 
and investing in that, whether they're building out communities of fintechs that they're partnering with. Um, all of this helps. Yeah. It's with anything, yeah. If you, if you do something for long enough and work in a certain way for long enough, it, it really kind of gets almost, you know, worn into your daily mm. pattern. It habit. Yeah and, yeah, and changing that habit into a new, you know, changing that kind of culture, stretching that culture into a new shape is really hard and does take a lot of dedication. And you, you have to get people working in their day job differently, essentially. Yeah. It's not about just, hey, the people building the new Digibank, they're going to be the ones using these new tools and processes and mm -hmm. mindset. Um, it's like, no, actually, we need not just the new stuff to operate like that. We need people doing their day job slightly differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being more ambitious, questioning the status quo more, um, always thinking about improvement and the customer or, or the internal customer, the staff journey. Yeah. And, and if you can keep, if you can kind of reshape that piece and, and keep it running for long enough, then that would become the norm. Mm. And that's really the big hump that a traditional organization's got to get over. And once you're on the other side of that, everything works better. Yeah. The, as a business, you're more competitive. Your tech works better. You, you're, you're getting better staff because they want to work for a, you know a better culture. You're getting your internal staff more motivated. You're getting a lot more kind of partnership requests because they want to work with you. So that, that's mm. the for me that's the big hump. So you can build okay. all the beautiful tech you want, but if you're not going to get over that hump, you know it's like having my grandmother drive a Lamborghini. <laughs> Um, it's it, you know it can go fast, yeah. but it but it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it won't yeah. um, until we kind of fix that piece. If you see what I mean. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. And, and Neil, I mean, who sh is there? Is there one single person do you think that should be the champion, the person driving this, leading this change, making it a, a habit, and really flexing that muscle? Is it is it, for example, the chief innovation officer, which was the position you held at DBS, or? Is it more than one person? Um, how do you how do you see that? Well, if I was going to be an innovation kind of um, uh, expert, if you will, I'm not a yeah. huge fan of the word expert. <laughs> uh, but but um, I'd say it's the customer. In fairness, okay. if you highlight the the customer pain, mm. that should be the one people align and, and change around. But obviously, that's theoretical. Yeah, that's not going to be realism. In the real world, it's, it has to be the CEO, mm -hmm. and um, and as an innovation office, you've got to. You know, when you think about joining an organisation, you've got to really look. Have they got the appetite? Everyone says they want change, and mm -hmm. um, and when you start engaging, then many of these companies say, "Oh no, no, I didn't want that much change, yeah. or that kind of change." Yeah, this is uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. Oh, oh, oh! You mean you want marketing? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you just want to tell everyone you've changed without actually going through that that pain. It really needs to be um, have that at least protection from mm -hmm. the very highest levels. Um, you know, I, I'd I go up all the way to investors. Yeah. So how to sell up to immediately sell up to executive CEO board investors. Um, to get them at least kind of looking out for you, knowing that there's going to be friction. You cannot have change without friction. So as an innovation leader, you've got to basically balance making change and getting fired. Yeah. Um, and as soon as you 
in, in my mind, the job as an innovation leader is to slowly get fired while affecting change. <laughs> um, that's your job. If yeah. you're not creating that, those friction points, you've got to decide the speed to do it. Mm -hmm. People try and do this too quickly and, and just get me to get fired. Not that I've ever been fired. Yeah. Um, but you've got, you've got to accept the fact you have no career. Mm -hmm. You know, as an innovation leader, one, where would you go in the organization? And, mm. and, and two, you, there's always a job for that to, to make that transition. But transition, you know, change causes friction. Mm -hmm. Hence, you have to be very cognizant of the politics and, and manage those senior executive relationships. Now, once you've got that piece, so you've got this umbrella near the top of the organization, then you start mm -hmm. pumping from below. Yeah. You start activating and exciting the staff base mm -hmm. to do something different, to do their career's best work, essentially, yeah. And that, okay. and that, that just involves a lot of engagement. So yeah. how do you get staff, not just learning stuff, but, but do, we did a lot of things like hackathons, mm -hmm. um, you know, get them to coach fintech companies, get tech companies to come in and do lunch and learns with them. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like a cultural washing machine. You're just okay. constantly um, engaging as much of the mass as you can and, and that kind of works then. So you've mm -hmm. got the top pushing down and giving some level of protection to the innovation office and all who sell in there. And uh, at the same time, you're pumping the excitement from below. So staff are, you know, wanting, because obviously, you know, they want to try these new things. They want to mm -hmm. do things a bit more exciting and, and different. You know, some of these FinTech things that they, they read online. Yeah. And, and if you can get that working, then that's it. That'll get you over that hump. Okay. Of now, you're, you're actually a bit, little bit like, a bit more like a tech company, and mm -hmm. this is starting to get a bit real. This isn't just marketing and telling everyone you're great. Um, you, you fundamentally have made a shift in, in um, how you operate as a business. Thank you so much for talking us through around the digital disruption and what causes it and, 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 and how you build in that, that habit to, to these larger companies and how you can make it possible. I just wanted to ask you while I've got you on, on the show, um, when we do just talk or we do just look at technology specifically, is there anything on the horizon or new technology that is getting you excited um, within the finance space? A lot of the new tech is basically just realigning lines of code. Yeah. So everything we look at, people call innovation, it's just lines of code, they've been rearranged differently. They've been mm -hmm. rearranged differently and it's a payment app. They're rearranged differently and it's a blockchain and mm -hmm. they rearranged differently and, and it's AI. Um, I suppose if I was gonna pick the kind of tech mega trends for me, mm -hmm. um, you know, of, of what people are talking about, AI, hands down, not for the f impact it's having on banking, but for the impact it's having on the world, which will reshape banking. And so AI in medicine means people are going to live longer. Well, that's going to, you know, uh, mm -hmm. going to have, be interesting around pensions and life insurance. Yeah, AI is going to give us driverless cars. Well, that may change property prices, mm -hmm. and people's jobs will change. You know, and and, mm -hmm. and so and how cars are insured and and get purchased, and so whole business lines at banks are going to change because AI is reshaping the world. I really excited there. But if I was waiting for one tech to come along that's a bit more long-term in finance, it's definitely, for me, AI's running parts of companies. Mm -hmm. I find that really exciting. So yeah. AI-powered kind of finance function in a business. Mm -hmm. um, that's what excites me. 
okay. that's going to fundamentally, when AIs are making a lot more of the decisions in a business and that automation, yeah. I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the blockchain, decentralized, autonomous organizations, mm -hmm. um, DOA, which is actually very close to DAO. That gets exciting. I think mm -hmm. that, that's a real big change then. Companies yeah. run by, by machine rather than uh, our command. We command robots to build cars. We command this. There's just yeah. some thing running which takes over. It's your virtual CFO. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm waiting, waiting for those times. Very exciting. And a lot of people to reskill, put into other things as well. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, a. a uh, Robot's best friend is a human. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, it's a partnership. The good thing is I think we'll get to do the fun stuff and yeah. our, our poor um, robot partners, whether they're physical robots or digital like AI, um, yeah. will do the more unappealing tasks. There you go. And so I'm very bullish on the future. Um, yeah. Pretty excited about you it. You heard it here first. Teleportation and, and robots in the <laughs> yeah. <old> future. <laughs> Uh, Neil, um, just before we close, um, could you could you share one life or career lesson with the listeners? I'd uh, I'd, I'd love to hear that from you. Yeah, yeah there's one for how to be well, actually, just be successful internally, but also improve your career as you go through. I learnt um, mm -hmm. uh, early on. Um, I, I was talking to a bank, and I take them great innovation ideas every month. And it was the head of business banking. Mm -hmm. I'd taken 10 great ideas. And then after a couple of months, I said, Neil, look, you know, I don't, I don't, actually, I don't care about this. His mm -hmm. language is a little bit stronger. Um, <laughs> then, you know, I, I, I don't give an F about this. Mm -hmm. said, they're great innovations. But I'm like, yeah, but look at the increases productivity, you know, productivity mm -hmm. or profitability or new business lines. He goes, yeah, it's all great. I get my bonus on customer satisfaction. Yeah. Just help me get my bonus. Mm -hmm. Bring me 10 ideas that help me get my bonus. And that was a real eye-opener for me a couple of decades ago now. And I realized you just need to help someone important achieve their bonus for you mm -hmm. to be successful. And innovation causes a lot of friction. So if you're, if you, so my guidance to innovators is, mm -hmm. you know, spend time with these senior executives, work out how they get their KPIs, which obviously is how how they're seen as successful and trying to align your innovation or your initiative to that. Okay. Because you can bet, one, they'll look after you, two, they'll make sure it sees the light of day, three, they might even fund it. But if that person moves on and they're looking to take staff members with them, then who are they going to pick? Mm. And that's something I, 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 I've used a lot in my career. Yeah keep doing that then hey someone will always be looking after you so true so so neil how can people get in touch with you if they if they want to find out more uh they can get a hold of me on linkedin neil cross n-e-a-l-c-r-o-s-s or go to website neil.asia neil.asia we'll, we'll pop some of those links into the into yeah. the show notes as well um yeah. neil thank you so much for coming on digital transformation and leadership and and sharing all of your wisdom and insights with the listeners. I've, I've really enjoyed the episode. Thanks, Neil. All right. Cheers. Bye. You've made it to the end of another episode of Digital Transformation and Leadership. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. No need to leave a written review. Just clicking on the five stars is enough. I'd really appreciate it as it helps the show get found and it helps those listener numbers grow. And we'll be back again next week when we will again go behind the scenes 
with another top business leader to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. The Digital Transformation and Leadership Podcast is a Blue Aurora Media Production.